This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, good morning, y'all. Hope that everything's going well for you. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and and grab them and and turn to them. Um, If you don't own a Bible, uh, just just send us a little message. Uh, email us, uh, corey.johnson at austinlifechurch.com. Let me know, and I'm going to mail you a Bible. Um, but I would love for you to have a paper Bible. Uh, we're just so easily distracted, um, you know? And so, uh, oh, let me start my timer. Um, yeah, there we go. It's okay. Acts chapter 17 is, is where we're going to be today. Uh, have you ever played the game, I don't even know if it's like an official game, um, Hot or Colder, you know, where it's like, Someone hides something or you want something, whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, you're, you're getting colder. You're... Coffee's turning off. Good. You're getting colder, you know, and then so you go the other way and they're like, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're getting oh, colder, oh, warmer, warmer, hotter, 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 burning hot, burning hot. And then you, you find it, right? Like, so, I mean, you've always played that game um, probably as a kid growing up and, and you're looking for something, but if you're looking in the wrong place, it's colder. If you're looking in the right place, you're getting hotter. Um, you know, that's, that's good and fun and all, um, but, but it's not as much fun when like you're really looking for something and you have no clue where it is. Like you're just in the wrong place, can't find it. You know it's somewhere, but you, you don't know where. Um, that's when the game's not so much fun, right? Uh, that happens to me a lot when it comes to notes. Um, I, I don't have the best organizational system. I get that. I know that. Michael tries to help me all the time with that, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. So, I mean, I've got, like, notes on my iPad, notes on my phone, notes on my computer. Then I've got, like, sticky notes galore. Um, you don't even want to know how many sticky notes I have. And then notepads, and, and I'm like, I know I wrote this down somewhere. Or maybe I typed it down. Um, and I'm trying to find this. Like, oh, that's... That is the worst. Um, and I'm sure you have something like that too, right? Where you're like, where did I put my toothbrush? Or um, why can't I find this shirt anymore? What, what happened to it? Did it disappear in the laundry? Uh, it, it's, it's just frustrating when you, you know that the, you're looking for something and you just you can't find it. You're, in the, you're looking in the wrong places. You're trying. You're turning stuff over. And, and to know avail. Now, as frustrating as that is, right, as, as discouraging as that is, what's even worse is when we're looking for re- things that really matter, right? We're looking for things that, that bring purpose and meaning and happiness to life. And, and we're trying different things and we're searching and we're searching, but we, we just it doesn't ever seem to be what we're looking for. You know, like, I'll give you an example. Growing up, um, what mattered most to me, uh, middle school and high school in particular, you know, was, was approval. I wanted, to, I wanted to be accepted, to fit in, to be popular. I think, I mean, I think a lot of kids feel that way growing up, but it was just, that is what mattered most to me is that I was seen and approved of and liked. And so, you know, I would do this and I would try that and I would try to have these friends, but I'd also try to have these friends and I'd go to this place and I would do all of these things that I thought would would earn my approval and that's what would make me feel complete, satisfied, and yet I, it was never there. Like I kept, it, there was always, it was a never-ending quest that, 
it was just it was just spinning on that wheel, and I never got there because ultimately I was looking for approval in the wrong places, in a in a person, in a relationship, in in status, you know, and and, and we all do that. We all seek fullness and and, and life in things that that ultimately let us down. They're they're not going to be what we're looking for. They're not going to have our answer. But what if even more, even more than than things on this earth, even more than our own life, the 75, 80, whatever years we have, right? What if we're looking for answers to eternity and we're looking in the wrong places? What if in the end we, we got it wrong? We, we sought for life and we never found it. That's where, that's where the Athenians were in Acts chapter 17. That's, that's what's going, going on when Paul ends up at, at a layover in, in Athens. Now, last week, Mike took us into Acts chapter 16, the, the starting of the church in, in Philippi. Um, and then from Philippi, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, they go on. Um, it says in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, they go through Amphipolis, Amphipolis and Apollonia, um, and then they came to Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, they spent a few weeks, they preached um, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and some trusted Christ and followed him, and, and others didn't. Others rejected it. Um, and, and the others that rejected it, rejected it so violently that they, they forced Paul and Silas and Timothy out of Thessalonica. And so they, they leave Thessalonica, they stop in Berea, they, they do the same there, they preach the gospel of Christ. Some trust, others don't. The others that don't, um, they force Paul and Silas and T- Timothy out. And, and um, Paul ends up being taken to Athens on his way to Corinth. Athens is just a, it's just a layover. It's not where they were going, it wasn't their end goal. It's just Paul is in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy. They couldn't get on the first trip. Um, they had to come later. Um, waiting for, for Silas and Timothy to come later. And Paul's just in Athens. And it says in verse 16, that's where I want to start reading. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, waiting for Silas and Timothy, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So here's what what I love about about what's happening here. Here's what what inspires me and, and challenges me is that Athens was simply, it was a layover. He he was going to Corinth and he had to stop in Athens to wait for Silas and Timothy. And as he was waiting, he observed the people of Athens and noticed that they were all worshipers. They they were very religious because they they had these things that they worshiped, but they were worshiping false idols. And his spirit was provoked, grieved, burdened by what was going on. He, he, was, he was grieved that the, the true God, the only one worthy of worship, was, was being replaced for man-made idols, for, for false gods, and that these people worshiping a false god were missing out on the life that they were really created to have in knowing the God of the Bible. He was, he was burdened and compelled to speak. 
you know, I think a lot of times when I think of, you know, my faith in Christ, it's, I make it public when I feel like it's the right time, you know, like, you know, it's, otherwise it's very private. And, and that's just not what it means to be a Christian. We don't, Paul, Paul, he was just in Athens in a layover, but he didn't, he didn't leave his Christianity off to the side until he got to Corinth and then he'd pull it back out and preach. No, he, he looked where he was. He saw people around him missing God and he was compelled in his heart to speak up, to say something for the glory of God and for the good of those who were missing it. Man, it's, it's like I'm a husband. Well, I'm not only a husband when I'm at home with Stephanie. I, I, I'm a husband when I'm you know, at the market. I'm a husband when I'm at the gym. I'm a husband if I'm in another state or another country. I don't ever leave that identity. I'm always a husband. And so I, I always am expected to act like a husband. And the same is true as a, as a Christian. I'm always a Christian. I'm always expected to act like a Christian. So it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. I'm expected to represent and to speak of the love of Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing. He sees what's going on there. He sees that they're missing the true God. And so he speaks up and it intrigues them. They're intrigued by that. So I think a question we need to ask ourselves is, are we provoked in our soul just like Paul was? Are we compelled? Are we grieved by the false worship of other gods in such a way that we have to speak up? Do we love God so much? Do we love our neighbor so much that when we see that they're missing the true God, that we're compelled to speak? We're compelled to do something about it. The evidence of our being grieved for God and for others is whether we speak or do something or not. If we remain quiet, then, then I think we've got to assume that, that perhaps we, there's something missing in our love for God in our love for neighbor. Paul was provoked, compelled, simply because he saw that the city was full of idols. He saw that they were worshiping false gods. And so he speaks up. He speaks up of Jesus and they're intrigued and they say, hey, come tell us more. And so they invite him into the Areopagus, a famous place for for speech and debate and discussing different thinking and, and philosophies and ways of life. And so verse 22, that's where we're going to move. It says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, in this opportunity to speak of Jesus, he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul, he begins this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He begins this speech by meeting the Athenians where they are. He steps into their world. He observes their culture. He observes what they love, what they worship, what they lift high, and he meets them where they are. See, so often we, we try to, when we try to speak of Jesus, when we try to show Jesus, we we don't take the time to really know people and see what it is that they're truly looking for, what's missing. The, the gospel never changes. The gospel is the perfect life of Jesus, his substitutionary death and his resurrection all on our behalf so that our sins can be forgiven and we can be given new life. That's the gospel. Jesus came to fix what I broke. But, 
But until someone knows what's missing, until someone knows what's broken, and that's unique for different people, the gospel is not going to make sense. And so Paul, he, he meets them where they are. He steps into their world, into their culture, and he meets them. He says, I see that you are very religious. You're very religious. See, we're all religious, all of us. We, we, we all have things that we worship, that we lift up. And Paul says, I, I see that you're very religious. Religion is a weird word. I think that man, people exercise religiously, right? They'll, they'll eat, I don't know, beef religiously. Right? So we, we throw that word around very, very loosely. Um, I asked some people this week, I said, well, how would you define religion? Um, and, and I got uh, different answers all across the board, but the common consensus was that religion is a belief in something so much that it moves you to action. It, it's, a, it's a belief, a conviction in something so much that you're, you, you have an affection for it and your life is devoted towards it. So we're, we're all religious in, in various ways. Paul says, I see that you're very religious because I see the objects of your worship. Paul connects worship to religion. Religious people are worshipers. Worship is simply the, the love and devotion to something. It's, it's valuing and lifting something up and saying this is worth it. And so I, I worship it. I spend my, my energy and my affection and my time and my, my praise towards this object. And so a religious person is a worshiper. It's someone who believes in something and loves and devotes their life towards that end. Now, we're, we're all worshipers, all of us. We're all made to see something as most important, something as ultimate. Now, that may change even throughout the day, right? Like That may, that may be a revolving circle of something that's ultimate, but at any given point, there's, there's something or someone at the top of our lives and our our actions and our affection and our devotion is towards that thing. That's what, that's what worship is. That's what makes religion and someone religious. And we're all worshipers. In this case, Paul recognizes their worshipers. He, he's speaking to the Epicureans. They, they, they worship. They loved self-pleasure. That at the top of their life, what mattered most to the Epicureans was self-pleasure. And so they would devote their lives to doing anything that ultimately led to the greatest amount of pleasure. If it, if it felt good, do it. If it doesn't, move it aside. If it serves the benefit of self-pleasure, put it in your life. But if it doesn't, move it to the side. And so they worshiped gods. They had these idols like Artemis, the god of, goddess of prosperity and money. They would, they would burn incense and sacrifice animals and wear bear skins because they believed that all of this appeased the goddess of Artemis that ultimately then blessed them with prosperity, self-pleasure. They worshiped the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of sexuality and fertility and beauty. They would wear shells and eat aphrodisiac foods and golden apples, and they loved the number five because... Apparently, the goddess Aphrodite loved all those things, and then when they incorporated that into their life, the goddess Aphrodite would bless them, and they would have greater sexuality or fertility. And so anything that led to self-worship, to, to self-pleasure, was what they loved. That was the end goal for them. 
The Stoics, the, what mattered most, that was at the top of their, their lives was self-sufficiency. Anything that would increase knowledge or strength or power or the ability to stand on their own as, as sufficient individuals, they would incorporate into their lives, they would seek after, they would worship. They worshiped the goddess Athena of wisdom, performing rituals and bringing in worship services and ceremonies, thinking that the goddess Athena would bless them to be more sufficient in their lives. They worshiped the goddess Nike. Yes, Nike is not just a brand of shoes. It is a goddess that was worshiped, the goddess of victory. And they believe if they worshiped this goddess Nike, then they would be victorious in their pursuits, in their battles, in their endeavors, and they would ultimately be more self-sufficient. They worshiped all these things, but, but they were all a means to their end, right? The self-sufficiency, that was their God. That was their, their love. That's what they thought would bring life. Self-pleasure, that's what they thought would be the fullness of life. And they kept searching and looking for those things. But Paul noticed something unique. He said, I also found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. They, they had this altar that they would worship, and it was just saying, this is our devotion to the unknown God. In the Greek, that phrase, unknown God, is translated agnostos theos, agnostic God. They were ultimately agnostics. The word agnostos means unknown, uncertain, unsure. And so they had an altar to the unknown, uncertain, unsure God because at the end of the day, they weren't ultimately sure that what they were worshiping, what they were chasing after, what they were seeking in life was it. There was an element of uncertainty. They were chasing these things. They were going after these things. But they weren't ultimately sure if that was what life was about, if that was what should matter most. And so they had this other God, an agnostos theos, the unknown God that they worshiped just in case they were getting it wrong. Perhaps they would hedge their bets by this other God. Perhaps they would have something over here that, that man, it was an unknown life. They weren't sure. They, they, were looking, they were looking in all the wrong places for life and they were never certain I mean, can you, can you imagine, I mean, you, we all know, we all know how frustrating it is to be chasing after something and to not really know if, it, if it's right, to be unsure, uncertain. And that's what Paul saw with them, is that they were religious people. They, they were worshiping gods and worshiping idols, and they were, they were chasing after what mattered most and the, the most important thing in life, but ultimately they were uncertain. And Paul knew that he was the same. He was religious and he was chasing after what mattered most. And he knew that all people in all places were, were ultimately chasing after, seeking what mattered most in life. But what Paul knew was that he knew the answer. He wasn't uncertain. He wasn't unsure. He didn't worship at agnostos theos. He knew the God. He was certain and sure of the one true God, the ultimate being, the ultimate object and person of worship was the God of the Bible. And so he says, you worship an unknown God. What therefore you worship as agnostos, as agnostic, as unknown? He says, I'm going to proclaim to you. 
I'm gonna fill in the gap for you. I'm gonna tell you what you're missing, what you're looking for and you're not sure and you keep trying. I'm gonna tell you the answer of what you're looking for. And ultimately what you are looking for is a relationship with the God of the Bible. And so he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's bigger than all this. He's above all this. He's greater than all this. He's transcendent. He is on top. Nothing goes above this God. He does not live in, in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul says, you're searching this unknown God, but the God I know is certain. And he's bigger and above and greater than everything. He's transcendent and he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He's not a means to your end. He's not a question mark. He is certain and sure and he is the end. He says, you worship gods that that really that you have to build a temple for them. It's like, it's like the master of a mansion and his kid builds him a cardboard box. He doesn't need that cardboard box to live in. He doesn't need that cardboard for it. He's got a mansion. It's like, it's like the, the father and a kid comes to the father and says, hey, can I have some money to buy you a present? The father doesn't need his gifts. He's got it all anyways. It's all his anyways. He says, you worship a God that, that needs something from you. That's a small God. You worship a God that's a means to your end. That's a God beneath you. That's a small God. Paul looks at them and he says, you worship something that is too small. The God of this world is bigger and greater than anything else you can imagine. He, he never changes. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the creator, master, sustainer of all things. Nothing is too difficult for him. There's nothing that rises above him and rivals him. He alone is supreme and above all else. I think, I think Paul, his, he, he, he's looking at these Athenians and he's saying, guys, you, you're, worshiping, you're worshiping things that are too small. You don't, you don't see the real thing. It reminds me a lot of what um, Charles Misner said of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was considered to be pretty religious. People, people thought he's a religious person, but yet he, he didn't associate a lot with, with the church, with people who were inside the organization. And, and Misner was asked about that. He said, why, why do you think that, that Einstein, although seemingly religious, kind of kept to the outside? And Misner said, I see the design of the universe as essentially a religious question. That is, one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It's very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. Says, in fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the preacher said about God and felt that they were blaspheming, speaking wrong. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real my guess is that he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have a proper respect for the author of the universe. 
Isaiah writes how God stretched out the heavens with a span, how he placed every star in the heavens and he named them each one by one. David, he said, he said in Psalm 147, that God determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their names. They have a proper name. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. David would write in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Job, he came to see the majesty of God. As he questioned God, God shot some questions back to him. He said, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Surely you know. Who determines the measurements? You see, God is bigger and greater and the almighty and majestic and nothing compares to him. And if we worship anything that is ultimately a means to our end, we are our God and we know that we're no God. We know that, that we are not the ultimate. And so there will always be an unsettledness and a restlessness in our hearts if we worship anything that is beneath us. We have to worship something that is greater and bigger and beyond and doesn't need us, but freely gives to us. And that is the God of the Bible. And what's even more incredible about this God is that he moves near to you and to me in humanity. That's what Paul then goes on and says, that God is transcendent and self-sufficient. And verse 26, he made from one man every na na nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own people have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Paul says there's this transcendent and self-sufficient and majestic God, the only true God that we should be worshiping, and yet he creates us in our homes, in our times, and he puts us in this life for one purpose, that we should seek and know and find God, that we should have a relationship with him. He created us with this hunger for the fullness of life, this hunger, this restlessness to, to worship and to look for something that matters most. He created us that way on purpose because he knows that he is what matters most and that we're created to find him, to seek and to be restless until we find the God of this world. He moved near to us. You see, what's different about the God of the Bible versus Artemis or Aphrodite or Nike is that all of those gods were a means to someone's end. Whereas the God of the Bible, he is the end. There is no one greater. There is nothing more satisfying than a relationship with the creator and sustainer and master of the universe. If, if we can say that there's something more satisfying than God, we haven't seen the real thing. We, we haven't tasted the greatness of this God. So here's Paul's message to the Athenians at the Areopagus. Guys, you're looking for life. You're seeking what matters most. You're, you're seeking what's, what, what you should worship, what you should put at the top, and you're looking in the wrong places. What you are looking for is God. 
The God of the Bible is the only one worthy of worship and able to sustain and give you life. So what now? What do you do with that? Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God's not created by us. He is the creator. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn away from worshiping anything other than him and to worship him, to, to stop trusting anything else and to trust in God. Why? Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Because this God has determined that a day is coming when we're going to stand and be judged by him. God is going to judge us and determine if we measure up, determine if we have the right to be in his presence. And what you and I all know, if we're honest, is we don't. We don't measure up. We're not good enough to stand face to face with the holy God, with the perfect God, with the God who is transcendent and self-sufficient. We don't measure up. We're not enough. And he's determined a day which we will be judged. And so he tells us, repent from worshiping anything else and turn to God. How can we trust this? How can we know this message is true? This he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead, by raising this righteous judge from the dead. That's how we know that we can trust the words of God is the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's Paul's message. Repent. Turn away from anything else and trust the one true God of the Bible. So, what does this mean for you and me? Look, we too, you, me, everyone, we're like Paul. We're like the Athenians. We are religious people in that we all worship something. There's something, there's someone that we, we lift up and we value more than anything else and we devote our lives to it. And it may change, it may, may be different tomorrow than it is today, but we're always worshiping something. We're always devoting our, our lives to something. It, it could be success. It, it, it could be that we, we, deep in our soul, just want to be successful and make it, and so we devote our energy and our time to, to being successful. It, it could be... It could be relationships and love. We just want to feel love. We want to know that we have a connection with someone. And so we just, we, we, we devote our lives to finding that, that right connection, to finding that, 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 that person that makes us feel valuable and, and secure. It could be, it could be things. We just want to have a collection of, of things that, that make us feel like, like this is what it's all about. It could be self-pleasure, anything that makes us feel pleasurable. That's what we're going for. If it feels good, we want to do it because we think that that's ultimate. It, it could be any, any number of things. Fitness. We, we worship fitness and health. We worship money. We worship, you know, pornography is one of the most, is one of the biggest money-making industries in the world. We worship sex. We worship, come on, we're all worshipers. We're all religious. The question that we have to ask ourselves right now, and I, I, I challenge, I dare you to ask it, to be honest, what matters most to you? 
What do you ultimately want? At the end of the day, if you could have today and for all of eternity, one thing, what is it? What is it that matters most to you? I I asked myself this question recently, and the answer, when I was honest, was self-protection. In that moment, I I wanted self-protection. I was afraid of being hurt. I was afraid of being disappointed. I was afraid of of what if everything fell apart? What if if I was blindsided? What, What if all of my dreams just didn't come to be, and I just wanted to protect myself from that hurt. And so I would guard myself from people, or I would not take risks of faith because I wasn't sure if it would ultimately go well. And so at the end of the day, what was mattering most to me was self-protection. And God invites me to trust Him to be my protector because none of these other things can ultimately protect me. And so we are worshipers. We have to know that. We're all religious. And so you may be watching this right now, and and you may know that you're not a Christian. You you may know that that you don't believe in the God of the Bible, or or maybe you believe in the God of the Bible, but you don't worship the God of the Bible. You don't don't trust Jesus. And that's okay. My hope is that you won't stay there, but that's, that's okay to be where you are right now, to be honest with that. And the invitation from Paul and the invitation I want to give you, it's really a question. How's that working out? Whatever it is that you're trusting, whatever it is that you're worshiping, how's it going? Are you still having to keep working for it? Are you still having to, to keep Try, has it fully settled and satisfied? Do you know, are you certain within your soul that, that it's the right thing? The invitation from Paul is, you, it's never going to satisfy. It's not. It'll always let you down at some point. The only thing that can truly satisfy you and never let you down is a relationship with God. And we have that relationship in God by trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the one, he is God himself who came and he he lived the perfect life that we were expected to live. And then he died for our sins so that he could remove the obstacle of offense between us and God. And in his resurrection, he He defeats death for all of eternity. He's the only one who who has risen from the dead never to taste death again, and he offers us that eternal life. We can trust the certainty of God because we can trust the certainty of the resurrection. Look, if Jesus is still dead, if he died again, then it's uncertain, it's unsure. Like, I don't know, maybe. But he's alive. In his resurrection, we have the assurance, the proof that what God tells us is True. I don't know anything else that is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus. And so look to that resurrection that tells us that we can trust him. Nothing else will satisfy. It will always fall short. Maybe you aren't sure if you're a Christian. Maybe you think you might be, but there's ultimately this agnostos, this uncertainty. You're not positive. Here's how you know. If you stand before God in this judgment, what is your one hope that you have to be in his presence? What do you believe 
gives you access to God's presence? Is it Jesus alone? That, that Jesus did everything you needed and gave it to you, and you stand in God's presence with a free gift of forgiveness and the righteousness of Jesus. And that alone is your hope. You're putting everything in that. And you're saying, God, I, I, I've trusted Jesus, and he, I trust that he's going to make me right to be with you. If your trust is in Jesus alone to forgive your sins and give you life, then you can know you are a Christian. Even if you have doubts and uncertainties and questions along the way, if that is firm and certain, then you know. It doesn't have to be an agnostos. You know. And if you're a Christian today, you may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I think, one, we see a model from Paul that he was provoked in a love for God and love for others, that he spoke up, that he met people where they were, that he stepped into their restlessness, and he told them how they can have rest in God. And we're called to do the same. We're invited to do the same, to look around and love people enough to step into their restlessness and bring them the rest of Jesus Christ. But also, don't be, don't be deceived to think that we can never substitute other things in place of God. Yes, by Christ we are secure, but any given day, any given moment, we can worship other things. We can set self-protection as the ultimate. We, we can set success or approval or pride or, or, or self-sufficiency and say that, that's ultimately what we're living for. If we, if we worship God as a means to our feelings or to heaven or to, if we worship God as a means to any end, then we have something else that we are worshiping. And we too are called to repent and put that away and restore God to his rightful place as the only one worthy of worship. The message that Paul gave the men in Athens, the same message for us today. We're all looking, we're all seeking to find what what is worthy of our worship, what, what matters most in life. We're all seeking that. And if we're looking anywhere other than God himself, we're looking in the wrong places. We were created to seek and to find and to know God. That is the only answer to the restlessness in our hearts. Would you trust him? Would you surrender in your mind and your heart today to trust him? Would you seek him and trust that when you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found and that is where satisfaction is had. Let's take a second. I just want to, I know we're at home and it's hard. There's so many distractions. Would you take a second with me? And would you be willing to just close your eyes? Take a breath. And ask God. Ask God. Maybe you've never talked to God before. Maybe you've never really prayed. Maybe you've never trusted. Just, just ask God as best as you can. God, what matters most to me? and listen for his answer. I believe that he'll tell you. I believe that he'll show you in your actions, in your time, in your money, in your energy, what you're devoting your life and affection to. Be honest with yourself and what that answer is. 
mouth, there's any answer other than the glory and relationship with God. Confess it and repent. Turn away from trusting anything else and tell God right now, I trust you alone and I worship you. Ask him for the strength and the endurance to continue to pursue him. He's faithful. His spirit in you will give you what you need. God, would you meet us where we are? Would you meet us in our restlessness, our anxiety, our fears, our struggles, our uncertainties? Would you step in by your spirit? Would you show us in our mind and our heart that you are the answer of what we are looking for? And give us the courage to let go of everything else and to surrender all to trusting you and to following you. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.